It's hard to get yourself sober, but I imagine it's even harder to get someone you love sober. There's so much shame and secrecy, especially when you're trying to live a normal life in society, but somewhere deep down, you know something is spinning way out of control. What do you do? Last week, we heard Matt's chilling story of his addiction, rehab, and life into sobriety. And if you haven't heard it, I would highly recommend you go and listen to it first. Today, we hear Megan's side. I wouldn't even know how many people suffer in silence trying to figure out how to help their loved one who you suspect might be struggling with addiction and not knowing what to do or where to go. I'm so grateful for Megan's courage to share her story and offer some ways to help. If you are struggling or suspect someone you know who is, you can call the National Drug and Alcohol Treatment Hotline at 1-800-662-HELP. Help is 4357. Here's Megan's side. What made you stay, Megan? What made you fight so hard? I mean, it was a lot of things. I mean, obviously my my love for Matt, but hope. I mean, like, you just aren't ready to give up. And I think for Matt, like, for Matt, watching him, I just kept thinking, like, I've got to try. Like, I've got to try. I think a lot of people would have left. And there was moments where, like, I thought it would be so much easier. But, like, he's such a good person, and there's so much for him to offer. And, it like, this is our journey, you know? And so... I just knew there was something better and something more and that we would all be better. But I mean, you know, obviously Matt, but then like your kids, you're like, I don't want this to be my kid's life. You know, I want something different for them. Mm. So one thing I noticed in one of our conversations, Mm -hmm. just as friends, and you said, I wish I want to help others Mm -hmm. that are in codependent relationships Yeah, and help them get their person sober yeah or even realize that there is an issue where do you even begin how do you even know I don't know I mean I think this might be step one right um just like I was telling the story about my neighbor I mean I can't even like I wish I could like somehow draw or demonstrate the feeling of what you feel all those years when you're living with an alcoholic and that shame and fear and paranoia and anxiety and I, just, I think fear, you know, and I, you read all these books and I, like, I remember like I, I joined Alcoholics Anonymous online and like you research things, but nothing looked like our version of alcoholism. I mean, mm. everything that I've been able to find has been like, you know, someone peeing their pants, throwing up, like getting in drunk driving accidents. Like that is not what my life looked like. And so, you know, I think it starts by talking about it and by being open. And, you know, at the beginning, Matt was saying, or you were asking, like, how do you go out and how do you do things? It's still like a thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why I always question myself. Like, we always have this moment where it's like, are they going to ask why Matt's not drinking? Like, are we going to have to admit it? And I'm not shameful of it, but you have to explain. There's always like a moment Mm -hmm. because people are so into alcohol and it's like Mm -hmm. really, I mean, it's great, but it's not as cool as people think it is. But yeah, I think you start by talking about it. I mean, fortunately, it's a lot more accepted, I think, you know, now. Um, and there's... People this, don't know what to say. They're always awkward, like, oh. Yeah, but, you know, what What I have found is that if anyone were to give me a hard time about it, odds are that they may have some of their own issues that are going on. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, why would... No one even cares. People forget about 
that if I'm not drinking, I mean, if anyone who actually cares, they feel self-conscious. I think uh, drinking, like people are heavy drinkers. Uh, yeah, um, and if I'm posing some sort of threat to them, then sure, maybe something's going on there. But otherwise, ninety-nine percent of people that I'm interacting with, it's you know, does, they don't even think twice about it. So people it's are so thing. interested by it, though. Like you, like you know, no shit. Like I told you about it, but I mean, <laughs> people are like everybody knows someone. Every time I tell someone yeah. about yeah. it. They're like, I have a friend who's yep. married to someone like this. Like, would you mind? And that's where, you know, I came up with my, it's not an idea. I'm not the first one. But it's so clear that the alcoholic has a problem. It is not clear for the spouse or the parent, or maybe it is. For me, being married with young kids and trying to, like, make new friends in a new city and all of those things, like, there, there, was, there was nothing. There was no support. And so, you know... I've always thought like if I could help one other person who's in a marriage where they feel crazy because their husband or their wife is telling them like, you're the crazy one. I'm not drunk. I didn't drink that. I didn't spend that money. I didn't do that. I didn't come home that late. You're like, mm-hmm. I mean, it got like it, the alcohol ends up manipulating you just to get what they need, which is their next drink. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it feels like shit. I mean, we it, moved to Atlanta. Sorry, Matt, go ahead. We moved to, I took the job at Coke in Atlanta, knowing that this would probably undo our life. Like mm. I knew it because we were at home with our family and the structure, like there's just enough to keep the parts all together. Mm. And so I took it knowing number one, you know, financially it would afford me opportunities if, if this didn't work out, if he didn't get sober, I didn't know what was going to happen. And then I just knew just based on everything he's described, that he would fall apart, which sounds like mean as I'm saying it. Yeah, it needed to happen. But I didn't know what else to do. Like I literally did not know what else to do. And I was so, so, so afraid that I was going to be wrong, that he wasn't an alcoholic. Like listening to it, like that sounds insane right now. No, that actually sounds really clear because I think the the line is so different. You know, Matt, when you were talking about, oh, I'm not like that guy, you know, right. I'm mm-hmm. not uh, out drunk in a bushes or I didn't, you know, right. ride my bike off of a, a bridge or something mm-hmm. by mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not that homeless guy that's looking for alcohol. I just think it, it presents itself in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what that, you know, is there a, a clearer definition of what alcoholism looks like for that particular person. Or even just addiction. Right? Or even just, you know, as as a spouse or a partner mm-hmm. of somebody or a friend of somebody that you suspect are are ha- having troubles with it. I mean, is there any guidance there? Um, the best thing that I've learned is it's not necessarily frequency or quantity, which is usually like when when i talk about it with people they're like oh you know sometimes i've thought about it because i drink x times a week and i drink x beers or x whatever it's what it does to you when you use it are Mm -hmm. you able to stop when you say you're gonna stop are you able to only do so much um are you only able like is it changing you as a person is it making you do things that you wouldn't normally do, and I'm not talking, you know, get up and karaoke sing or kind of, you know, have something fun, (laughs) but are you finding yourself at a strip club um, when that's not something you would normally do, you know, as a person or whatever the case may be? So it's what it does to you. And, you know, I was, I had a high tolerance. I'm a little guy, um, but you could have someone who 
you know, uh, my mom was always like, oh, if you drink more than two beers and you know, that's a problem. Well, everyone's different. Everyone's different sizes. And you know what? Some people who drink two beers every day, maybe they do have a problem. Um, even though it's quote unquote only two because it changes them in, in X, Y, Z manners. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so interesting when we did this and I did this like very quietly. Um, I think I only, I asked my best friend and her husband to write a, a letter and some family members. And then when it was finally done and he went away, I sent a, a couple group texts, probably like two different groups of friends, like everyone we knew was just like, this is what's going on. This is what's happened. Not one person was like, I had no idea. But mm. also none of those people had come to me and been like, to either of us and really said like, mm-hmm. I think Matt has a problem. And like, so wait, so that's the crux of it right there. So yeah. they knew nobody said anything and there was no support. For you, you know, like there yeah. was nowhere you could go and say, am I crazy here? You know, like at what point do you schedule so, the right. intervention? Because he's so charismatic and so normal. And I was so good at pretending and hiding mm-hmm. it. I mean. And it's uncomfortable. That's an uncomfortable conversation yeah, right. for people to have. But I think in the end, Matt's personality was changing. Yeah. You were like it really was. mean to me, like not abusive or anything like that, but just like shitty. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was an asshole. And people started kind of seeing that. But it's, it's, um, you know, it's very accusatory. Like, so nobody wants to come out and say, mm-hmm. like, I think this or whatever. I mean, I've had all the support of everyone in the world. Like, people have come out of the woodworks, especially when I was alone, um, going through all this. I mean, couldn't have had more support, but I just think there's so much stigma around it. Yeah. And the hindsight mm-hmm. theory, you know, everyone, I mean, it's not just addiction. Anything. But we were both harboring so much of it. Like, I mean, on the outside, had the cars, had the house, you know, had the jobs, had the friends, had the, I, I don't blame that anyone didn't say anything. Cause I also spent all of my energy pretending and hiding and like being so afraid someone would know. And now I look back on it and I'm like, why, why, like, mm-hmm. why was I so afraid? Like who, like, but that's, you know, that's just like the advice I'd give someone is like, you're spending so much of your energy trying to stop something from happening. Like, I wish I could like have had that understanding of myself at that point in time. Or what about um, therapy in general? Just getting an unbiased third party involved. Well, like, you were smarter than everything. What does that look like though? Went to. Like, but that's the thing. So I'm thinking, you know, you had to hit rock bottom in some way. I mean, to stage an intervention required a lot of work and planning. Yeah. And how did you know? Okay, it's enough. Or you know, if that had happened a year prior or six months prior would it have got, I don't know. Like but for where, me, I can tell you for me, I literally could not live my life with this anymore. Like it's like, she was done. I would just like, like I was sick with it. Like, I don't, it's like almost like you couldn't stand the taste of something anymore. Like you could not actually like, you know how it is with like of alcohol you're throwing up on. Like that's how I was with mass disease. Like I mm-hmm. literally could not take a second more of it. And had decided that I was, I think I was 40 at the time. This is not the life I want. Like, I do not, like, I mean, Matt was gambling. He was spending money. He was going out. I was miserable. I wasn't happy. Mm -hmm. I didn't have friends. I didn't have a social life. Oh, I think my tipping, tipping point was I went on my 40th birthday party to Mexico. (sighs) And I called Matt from Mexico. And I could tell he'd been drinking all day. I was Matt's having uh, more fun than you and yes. your 40th birthday. But he ended up going out and leaving. He went like nine houses on the street and left very little children alone. Mm. And then the next day I called you and you started yelling at me about like my flight time. Like, like, and it was the, my friend saw it 
it was the very first time I started crying and I was like, something is wrong. Like it was the very, it was like the dam broke. Um, but I had been leading up to it for a year. So I moved to Atlanta. I knew this was going to happen. I just knew it. I did not know what to do. So I started exercising. At this point in my life, I couldn't exercise because I was so trying to control every aspect of our life. Like I wouldn't leave the kids alone. I wouldn't let him drive. I wouldn't, I was just in like micromanagement of every aspect to keep our shit together. And then I went to a therapist for an entire year to like work up the courage to admit to myself Mm -hmm. that something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And then I just got to a point where I was like sick with it. And I, it was not one thing. The one thing was that trip. And then I came home and took Claire to a dentist appointment because she had a cavity. And he told me, told me it was my fault that she had a cavity. Mm. And for some reason, like that moment, and we came home and you didn't remember, we took her to the dentist. Mm-hmm. For some reason, that was just like the straw that broke the camel's back. And I remember I called his mom because you were going to fly home to Michigan for some reason. Softball game. For something. And she was like, why is he coming home for a softball game? And I, for some reason, that led to us talking about his drinking. And she's like, do you think he has a problem? And that was I finally admitted Yes. And I've always felt like I had to like fix it for her. And I was like, yes, and I'm done. Like, I actually think I'm going to ask him to move out. Like, this is over. And so that day they wanted to like, basically like pick you up from the airport and put you in rehab. And they somehow ended up like talking to a bunch of different people and ended up learning like that was the absolute worst thing to do. So, I mean, really we owe it to his mom because I had the courage to finally admit it. And I think she needed to hear it from someone she trusted. Mm -hmm. But I had no plan. Like intervention wasn't my idea. My idea was like, go get your shit fixed. Like I literally cannot take a second longer of this. Mm-hmm. Terrible for my kids, terrible for me. And she was like, let's do an intervention. And that was an incredibly therapeutic process. Like if you can afford it and do it, just to get it all out and admit all of the things you're holding in, it's amazing. So, so what would you suggest for some people that might be suspect that there might be an issue you know like where do you even go because it sounds like you have to go through all of these hiding and pretending or you know like you said what if I'm wrong and he doesn't really have a problem and I'm just spinning out of control you're not I mean Mm -hmm. my biggest lesson has been my gut I mean if I even reflect back on early early days in a relationship like I always knew it like I always knew it I just wanted to be wrong but I mean I think talking about it questioning it um i mean there's so many resources but they're all it's so like going to a meeting and talking doesn't work i don't know wow. what would be better like what are the resources i mean there you can go to an alcohol did you do al-anon i did it online and never did it in person um it, that works for a lot of people it um, does work for a lot so of people if you don't have maybe the financial resources to do interventions or whatnot are interventions um, expensive? Yeah. They sound really yeah. pricey. Yeah, so is rehab. Like really, and we we picked like a middle of the road because if it was too nice, you would have like liked it. <laughs> <laughs> like I remember having the conversation being like, that one's too upscale. <laughs> this one's like shitty enough that he'll want to leave, yeah, but like but nice it, enough that he won't feel yeah, like he's shitty better enough, than them. I mean, it was still a six-digit investment. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, I guess to answer your question, I, I would like to normalize it a little bit and have mm-hmm. people talk about it. I can't even tell you the amount of relief it feels or it felt when I finally admitted it. Like it took so much weight off and all like it wasn't terrible. Like the world didn't end. Nobody hated me. Like it was just and who cares if you're wrong? Who cares? You know? Um but I mean you can go like I first joined Al Anon online 
which was overwhelming, but you would get these emails from like listservs, I don't even know. And even just observing some of that, I mean, some of them were like extreme, extreme, extreme cases and that I didn't really relate to, but there was enough stuff that was like my situation where I was like, okay, I'm not crazy, Mm. you know, but I mean, I went up through this whole point where I would like count how many beers he drank. I would like Mm. take pictures. Like there's this whole like crazy making period where you're like, I knew what I was doing was psycho, but I like needed data Mm -hmm. to prove it. (laughs) Um, Therapy, talking to someone, just talk to us, talk to us. We'll give you our number and more. I take calls still from people that go to my rehab place. Like they have my number and they give it out to people that they think it could be helpful with because it helps me keep sober. When I get to talk to someone who's going through it, that brings back a lot me and helps me with the tape that I was referencing earlier I'm like oh shit yeah that's not anywhere it's just like a good reinforcer so it's just as helpful to help for us to help someone as it is for that person seeking help are you still in AA now or do you still attend meetings I do but not nearly um, as I don't I used to go every single day I'm going a lot less frequently and um, I still talk to my therapist every week and that's something that she's kicking my butt on is uh, um, it's one of those things it's kind of like exercising where you don't want to do it but every single time I do it, I feel great. So mm. I just need to, to do it more. What are your thoughts on the the drinking culture? Is mm. it annoying? I think there's actually <laughs> more of a a push towards a cleaner lifestyle. Sober that, curious is the new... What is sober curious? It's, it's this new thing going on where uh, people are realizing that life without alcohol is um, making them just healthier mentally and whatnot and they're giving it a shot it doesn't mean they're necessarily abstaining i mean i think it may just be the flavor of the month or or whatever have you but if you google that sober curious you'll you'll see that a lot more people are are starting to do it too Hmm. but that makes me more scared for okay if people aren't you know necessarily drinking then what is it is it the farmies Um, i mean i think that's already happening yeah so it it sounds like just the proclivity towards addiction or just Hmm. um excess yeah yeah, I think the drinking culture healed. is annoying. I mean, as someone who is not like a hardcore drinker, yeah, like I like glass like of wine. Mama or two. needs a drink, you know. Yeah. You know, every day everyone's like, "Is it one o'clock yet?" And like, I'm like, "Is it cookie o'clock?" You know, um, <laughs> I'm in the cookie o'clock club. <laughs> yeah, but um, I think it's annoying. But I I don't mind it. But I think you know, if I were like, we still have all of our same friends, and they're all great. But we, I think Matt really never had matured out of that drinking mm-hmm. club. But now I think you pick more people who are more like yourself in that stage in life. And if Matt was still drinking, we'd probably gravitate towards people who wanted to day drink and things like that. And so nothing wrong with that. That's just not something we enjoy. And so I think you end up kind of re-engineering your interest towards people who have more things in common. That's where you spend your time. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we spend our time in different places and meet people doing those sorts of things. But it is weird at first to get to know people without having it to be surrounded by drinking. Like some of like... In your early days, a lot of people you meet, at least for me, was like over getting like butt ass wasted at a bar night. Mm-hmm. And then you have all these memories and then you build upon that. It is hard as an adult to meet new people and like slow roll getting to know them, you know, mm-hmm. like getting over that awkwardness and that drinking. Right. You guys are the perfect example. I mean, that's why I think we've inserted ourselves so heavily into our school communities because shares the same types of morals um our kids are spending time we might as well make friends with you know those parents and we've been so fortunate to you know to meet you and chris and um other families there that's really worked out pretty well 
I think one thing I noticed about you two that I, I don't know, sit around and notice, <laughs> like the emotional intelligence thing. Um, but I noticed how intentional you are on how you communicate to each other and support each other, that it's not like you guys have a very high respect for each other. The way that you communicate, you guys are looking at like, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like It wasn't always like that, though. But I I'm mean, saying I know this is an active practice. So it what does it look like if you don't mind sharing from a marriage perspective? Because that that's not like, oh, we just love each other so much. That is fucking it's a work. It's fuckload of work. I mean, we had to re-get to know each other through couples therapy. Like I from, mean, just from scratch. I mean, it's like kind of like first dating again. And, and we did marriage counseling. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's same thing. We had to do marriage counseling. I had so much anger to get over. And it still comes up every now and then. But I think... How do you deal with the resentment of all those years? Therapy. I mean, getting mm -hmm. it out. Like, just owning it. Or like, you know, I would say... We really had to get to know each other again. And then Matt had to learn what I like and vice versa. And we had to learn what our triggers were. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, we really had to practice when we get triggered because we, like, I call him, like, he outlawyers me hmm. and I go into complete shutdown mode. Hmm. So, like, that lawyer is what negotiated him out of every situation that he can, like, rationalize everything. Like, it's an amazing thing. Um, we have to recognize when that's happening. And, and pause and pause that's the biggest thing sometimes the walk away even though like i don't know if you when you get into fights like for me i just want to solve it because i hate confrontation i hate the hanging of angst or someone being mad at me so i just feel like i need to go 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 until it's fixed but that's the wrong thing on how megan processes things mm. so for that it's and i'm not very good at this still but it's pausing walking away coming back and that usually works best when there's uh, friction yeah you know it's been really helpful for me and this is not like my full answer but through the marriage counseling well there's something called four horsemen which i still can't totally explain to you but it has to basically do with your trigger matt can probably explain it but enneagrams mm. that was what number are you six what number are you nine so nine is the peacemaker you yep. don't want to rock the boat yep. sixes are um loyalists loyalists loyalist. yeah. yeah. yes but okay. I think just that concept, which I think can be applied in several other yeah. psychological ways, for me was just something I could wrap my head around to understand this is how a six is and this is why I am. So like a six, I think one of the attributes is always scanning for danger, always thinking things through, always mm. wondering, always processing, like always looking for information. Whereas like now Matt understands it about me. It used to be more annoying. Now he understands like I can't help it. That's just how I. That's just how my brain is. That's also a deeper uh, application of the five love languages mm -hmm. as so well as understanding. One. Yeah. But though I think the love languages and Enneagram for me were something just easily digestible that I could understand our likenesses and our differences. Mm -hmm. And then in marriage counseling, they can actually take that farther, like what your wings are and what happens when you're in a higher six versus a lower or nine or like why you fight about certain things that that has just been one thing that i have found very digestible to working together better i also think spirituality has helped and i'm not talking religion um spirituality where i believe that i have a higher power now and that things are happening for a reason and people kind of get on aa and they're like oh isn't it some sort of cult no it's 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 based on a higher power but that higher power can look like anything and what i mean by that is you just need to believe that you're not the center of the universe that's mm. it that there's something that's done something to make this world go around um and for us to be able to lean on that is in the sense of we are you know the, the 
thing called the serenity prayer you can um you know grant me the serenity accept the things i cannot change so there's some stuff that you just can't change and worrying about it it's like a rocking chair you're not going to get anywhere um the courage to change the things you can and that's like okay here's something that actually needs to change or can be changed and you know this is where i should focus my time and the last part is the wisdom to know the difference and that's always the hardest part <laughs> to mm. know what you can change and what you can't change but a lot of the acceptance with megan and i um it, it may sound bad like i'm accepting your faults or something no it's just i accept that this is this is life this is how megan is as a person that's and i love her for that and there's certain things that maybe we can change and that's where we'll focus our energy on like hey, we need to get better on top of our finances. Like that's something we can change on how we manage our finances um, versus maybe uh, Megan's proclivity to um, move fast or mine to move slow. <laughs> He's so slow. <laughs> like so slow. But I would say man didn't have any spirituality before. So I started doing life, like life coaching, getting kind of into that stuff like in my 20s. So I've always believed in manifesting and, you know, everything happens for a reason and that there's a higher being. And he was kind of like, no. And so I feel like we kind of meet mm -hmm. in the middle on that now, which has been kind of a fun marriage thing to do because then you can, you know, vision board or talk about like planning your future. I mean, when Matt was deep in addiction, there was no planning. There was no mm -hmm. future. There was no like, I like this. I like this. It was just minute to minute, day to day, you know. What do you think, Matt? through this process was your biggest lesson that you needed to learn? Um, being selfless um, is uh, the way to live my life um, because that ends up in the long term. Giving ends up being a selfish nature in itself because um, it kind of comes back in terms of you get your own fulfillment for it and that's how you build relationships and um, I don't know, it's how you end up being kind and Sounds cool. Okay, closing out. Matt, tell us, what was the biggest lesson you learned? What's helped me the most is uh, trying to be selfless, and that is so in incredibly hard. Um, every day it's something that I constantly need to think about, but when I'm selfless, um, it ends up being a selfish exercise in the sense that when I'm helping other people, whether it be friends, family, people I don't even know, um, I get a, a self-fulfillment of my own and you're, you're, you're doing good work. Um, and I need to stop listening to myself because doing things my way is what got me into this problem to begin with. So even though I think I'm a smart person and all that, all of that arrogance and pompousness and selfishness got me exactly into the predicaments that almost cost me everything. Um, so, uh, relying on, a higher power, friends, family, relationships, other people. Um, that's that's the way that I'm able to live a happy, healthy life and uh, maintain my sobriety that's been just over 30 months now. And I'm super proud of that. Congratulations. Thanks. It's a lot to be proud of. Thanks. I wonder from you, Megan, what do you think is the biggest life lesson you learned through this process? I mean... I was thinking about it because I was wondering if you were going to ask me that next. You know it. Um, I, I think my answer is to listen to your gut, but I recognize that that is a really difficult thing to tell someone to do, especially when you're living in fear and paralyzed by it. But I mean, when I reflect back on the past, I don't know, Matt, how long have we been together? Like 13 years, 15 years? Almost 15. It, that gut intuition was there this entire time. And I think on the other side of fear is freedom. 
And if I had just had a little bit of ability to listen to my gut and to tune into what I felt in my stomach, essentially, this entire time, um, how much sooner I could have helped. I mean, but having said that, everything happens for a reason. But um, I don't know. It's really hard to tell someone not to be afraid of something this big and this scary. But honestly, it was scarier not to deal with it Mm. and not to listen to my gut than dealing with it. Like there's so much freedom in letting go of like all that shit you're carrying around. I guess you also feel like it is you feel alone until you are So alone. So alone. Like so alone. And you spend so much energy. And I think that was like one of the tipping points for me was just so much energy went towards hiding my anger. I call it rage because I was literally like bubbling beneath the surface. But hiding the rage and hiding the problem that like there was nothing left over for anything. Like when I reflect back on the times, especially after we had kids, because, you know, Matt was an alcoholic and that was stressful. Then there's the financial piece and then having two kids that are 17 months apart and working a full-time job. Like I was fucking exhausted a hundred percent of the time. Mm. Um, and you really just couldn't even enjoy your life. I just, I look back on that and think like, what a waste of energy when I could have been like, getting another degree or learning a new activity or building my confidence. And it was just tearing me apart piece by piece by piece until there was nothing left but like a puddle. Mm. So, Matt, what does it feel like to be sober? Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm on top of my game. Um, I uh, don't, I have very little anxiety uh, when it, it comes up in the moment, of course. Um, but I'm able to manage it um, a lot better. And I just feel in control, which was something that I strive to achieve and why I probably was so controlling with Megan or other people and why I came while I was such a dick. Um, but now I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a relief. Um, I've never felt uh, more productive and fulfilled in my life. Um, the things that bother me are things that, probably bother pretty much anyone and yet I'm able to deal with them I feel better Um, but it's also uh, you know it's practice not perfection um, or progress not perfection excuse me so I'm still trying to get a little bit better uh, every single day but yeah um, I thank I thank God I thank Megan I thank everybody my mom um, Feinberg consultants for for the intervention they've been instrumental and I've stayed in close contact with uh, some of the people there and then Karen, uh, C-A-R-O-N, was the, the rehab place I went to, and IOP here in Atlanta. Um, all of those places. Um, and my primary therapist, David. Um, these people saved my life and saved my family's life. And now, um, hopefully, I can uh, give a, a life to my children uh, even better than what, you know, better what I had. Mm. That's so beautifully said. So if somebody wanted to reach out to you or felt like they might have some questions what how could people find you sure uh, for me uh hey matt heather at gmail um matt heather m-a-t-t heather like the girl's name at gmail and what about you meg well i don't have an email address yet but uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll make one out that you can plug in here but uh you know um do you just like edit that in later or something yeah <laughs> i'll make up an email address but um I would say they can just reach out and either Instagram me or email me. And and I'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. And then I, I would just be happy to have a conversation. Like, I totally recognize what it feels to have that moment of, like, 
literally don't even know what to do. And just for me, at least when I was in this early stages, it was just like these little, little tiny steps of confidence that helped me get to a point where I could do something that would, would end up being change in my life. Um, and I mean, it started for me before Matt even went to therapy or into rehab, but just little, like in that point in your life, it's like one small step at a time. You know, the first is being curious. Like it took me a while to even like proposition myself, like as an alcoholic, like that's an huge step in itself just to even question it. And then the next is like, you know, proving you. the next is talking to someone who's been through something similar. And so I would welcome being that first step for someone just to talk it out. Cause there's so much relief just in hearing someone else's story and knowing that Mm -hmm. there's a better outcome Mm -hmm. or even if it's not the outcome you want you end up being better like I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason and so you know if I could just help one person not feel so alone and so scared like it would make me so happy man we've come you know we've come quite a long way in uh, uh, 30 months or whatever have you and one of the expressions that I hate the most but ends up being the truest is uh, time takes time I mean, it's such an annoying phrase but um, doing what Megan just said in terms of just a little bit a little bit a little bit um, kind of it adds up hmm. thank you both so much for sharing your story and I'm I'm so inspired by your strength and by the people that you are and you know like Matt people in the school community are like oh my god matt's emails are so funny <laughs> like you're just so helpful um Thanks. to the school time for it now and megan i'm astounded by your strength and your beauty as a human and and the strength of your family and grateful that our kids love each other the way that mm-hmm. they do and just love being around you so thank you for being um being as as you as you can be and doing it cleanly Meg, you are amazing. What I find astonishing about Matt and Megan is how they went from not even being able to stand the sight of each other to committing to the relentless hard work required to get sober, stay sober, and break the cycle for their family and get healthy. And along the way, they found the invaluable insights about who they are as people under the surface of everything that society tells them to be. To the Heather family, we love you so much, and I'm so proud of the example you've set. It is culture changing. I've linked their info in the show notes. I believe that Megan has an Instagram account that she is going to dedicate to helping people that were in her position. It's going to be called at getting him sober on Instagram. So please make sure you reach out to her. I've linked everything in the show notes. I hope you'll reach out. And also make sure you subscribe or follow this podcast on your favorite player. The stories I have coming up are going to knock your socks off. You won't want to miss it. And while you're at it, subscribe to my weekly emails at allisonhair.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.